Well, I hope you found Revelation chapter 3. Today, we come to the end of the first major section of the book of Revelation, the seven messages to the seven churches who were the the original uh, ones to receive this book. And uh, today, we're going to be looking at the last of those seven messages, the message to the church in Laodicea in Revelation 3, 14 through 22. And um, let's begin by reading. And uh, since these words are breathed out by God and come with the very authority of Jesus Christ himself, if you are able, would you please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word? Revelation 3, starting in verse 14. The Holy Spirit says, And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich in white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. As I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The grass withers flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. Would you pray with me? Father, we've heard your word. As we dive deeper into it, I pray that you would open our eyes to see wonderful things in your word, Lord, that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit, that I might speak the very utterances of God and serve with the strength that you supply. I pray for all those in my hearing, that you would fill them with the Holy Spirit, that you would open up their eyes, open up their hearts, uh, Lord, that you might use this time to make us not only hearers of the word, but doers. May we hear these words and keep them for your glory. Would you make us more like Christ through what you do in this moment? It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, So you may or may not know, um, I actually preached through Revelation 2 and 3, about four years ago. And as I was preparing for this sermon, I thought I would look back on how I preached this passage uh, the last time. And uh, I started that sermon talking about how we couldn't wait to be done with potty training. We were 
at that time potty training our, uh, our first sailor, who's now five. And now four years later, we are still potty training. <laughs> We're potty training our second, Asher, and his little brother Hudson is uh, burning through diapers very fast, waiting for his turn eventually to be potty trained as well. Um, but uh, what I observed then, and what's still true today, is that we tend to associate reliance with immaturity. We associate relying on someone else with immaturity, and we associate independence or self-reliance with maturity. When we're young kids, we depend, we rely on our parents for everything. But growing into adulthood means learning to do things for yourself, becoming independent, learning to rely on yourself, whether that's going to the bathroom by yourself, or reading by yourself, or working, or driving, or whatever the case may be. Growing into adulthood means learning to become self-reliant. The more self-reliant you are, the more mature you are as an adult. But when it comes to following Jesus, it's just the opposite. When it comes to following Jesus, the more you grow in maturity the less self-reliant you become and the more reliant you become on Jesus. Before we come to Jesus, we are self-reliant. We're relying on ourselves to decide how we're going to live. We're relying on ourselves to make ourselves right with God. And the very first step of following Jesus is to admit that we can't save ourselves and to rely on Jesus to save us. Then the life of following Jesus is learning to be less and less self-reliant, more and more reliant on Jesus. We rely on Jesus for truth. We rely on Jesus for grace. We rely on Jesus for strength. We rely on Jesus for everything we need. What we see in this message to the church in Laodicea is that this is a church that was self-reliant. And Jesus calls them to repent of their self-reliance and to rely on him instead. I trust that you know that the pull of self-reliance is strong. This is something that we all struggle with. We are all prone to be self-reliant. And you want to know just how strong the pull toward self-reliance is? I was trying to figure out how I was going to start the sermon, and I went back and I looked at how I opened this sermon the last time I preached it, and I saw the thing, you know, about potty training and learning to be self-reliant and how it's opposite with Jesus, and I thought, yeah, that's pretty good, but man, I want to come up with a different introduction this time. I'm not going to rely on past Jeff. I'm not going to rely on that introduction. I want to rely on myself today to come up with a whole new way of starting the sermon. And I was sitting there, and I'm telling you, I was racking my brain trying to rely on myself to come up with something that really kind of sets the stage. And, th and then it hit me. I was being self-reliant. <laughs> and so as I'm trying to figure out how to preach a sermon about being self-reliant, I'm being self-reliant. And so, bottom line, the message that I need to hear today, the message that the church in Laodicea needed to hear, the message that you need to hear Rely on Jesus. Rely on Jesus. And I want us to see three ways we rely on Jesus from Revelation 3, verses 14 through 22. First, how do we rely on Jesus? Recognize Jesus' reliability. Recognize Jesus' 
reliability. So at the beginning of this message, Jesus identifies himself in two different ways. Look with me at verse 14. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. In these identities, we see two ways that we can rely on Jesus, or we could say two ways that Jesus is reliable. First, you can rely on Jesus to tell you the truth about you. Rely on Jesus to tell you the truth about you. Jesus calls himself the amen. The amen. Now, amen is one of those words that Christians say all the time, but we hardly ever actually have to explain what the word amen means. Well, the, amen, the word amen means let it be so. It means truly. It's a word that affirms that something that has been said is true. So uh, and take an example from Revelation. In Revelation 5.13, John's going to hear all of creation say, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And then the four living creatures say, Amen. They affirm the truth of what's just been said. And so for Jesus to call himself the Amen is for him to be the ultimate affirmation of what is true. Or we could say he is the faithful and true witness, uh, which is the other uh, title that he gives here. The amen, the faithful and the true witness. A, a witness is someone who gives a testimony. And Jesus is a witness that you can rely on to always give a true testimony. He says what is true. He affirms what is true. He's the amen. He's the faithful and true witness. And in this message to the church in Laodicea, Jesus specifically tells the truth about this church. He tells the truth about their real condition because they thought the truth was they didn't need anything. But Jesus, the amen, the faithful and true witness, says the truth actually is they are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. And just like this church needed Jesus to tell them the truth about them, so we need Jesus to tell the truth about us. I wonder, who do you rely on to tell you how you're doing? How do you know how you're doing as a man, a woman, a, a student, an employee, a husband, a wife, a brother, a sister, a son, a daughter? How do you know? Who do you rely on for you to to know how you're doing. Do you rely on the expectations of society? Do you rely on the opinion of people in your life? Do you re rely on your own personal opinions and views? Well, Jesus is the one who tells the truth about us. He affirms what is actually true about us. He is the one who searches and knows us. He's the one who knows everything we do, everywhere we go, every word we speak, every thought we have. His word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. 
He is the one who Revelation 19.11 will tell us judges in righteousness. If you want to know the truth about yourself, rely on Jesus. View your life through the lens of his word. He, he is the one who we can rely on to tell us the truth about ourselves. He is the one who should measure who we are and we should measure ourselves against his word. Rely on Jesus to tell the truth about you. Second, you can rely on Jesus as the source of what you need. Rely on Jesus as the source of what you need. So Jesus also identifies himself as the beginning of God's creation. Now, don't read that the wrong way. That does not mean that Jesus was the first thing God created. Jesus is not created. What this means is that he is the one who began God's creation. He's the creator. Uh, Just consider uh, what Paul said in his letter to the Colossians. And uh, what's unique about that letter or relevant to uh, our passage today is the letter to the Colossians was actually a letter that was forwarded to the church in Laodicea as well. And in Colossians 1.16, Paul says, For by Jesus all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He's the, the beginning of creation. We could say the beginner of creation. But Jesus isn't just the beginning of the first creation. He's also the beginning of the new creation. A couple of verses later in Colossians, in Colossians 1.18, Paul says that Jesus is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, same word, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Jesus not only created everything that exists, he's also redeeming all things. Starting with his resurrection, he is beginning a new creation that will be culminated in a new heavens and a new earth. He was the source of this creation, and he will be the source of everything we need for all of eternity. So if Jesus is the source of all things, then we should rely on him for what we need. He is the source of true wealth. It's in Christ that we can have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. It's in Christ that God shows us the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness. Uh, Hebrews tells us that Joseph understood that knowing Christ was greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. What we need is found in Jesus. He's the source of true covering. He is the one who can clothe us in garments of salvation and a robe of righteousness. He is the one who can take our sackcloth of mourning off and clothe us instead with gladness and dancing, according to Psalm 30, 11. He is the one who grants us to clothe ourselves in righteous deeds, we see in Revelation 19, 8. He is the source of what we need. He's the source of true sight. He's the one who opens the eyes of the blind. He's the one who's able to stop Satan from blinding our minds and seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. He's the one who's able to help us see what is the hope to which he calls us and the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. He is the source of everything we need. So rely on Jesus as the source of what you need. Recognize Jesus' reliability. Second, 
repent of self-reliance. So we need to recognize Jesus' reliability, but then second, we need to repent of self-reliance. How do we repent of self-reliance? I see four steps to this repentance in verses 15 through 19. If you want to repent of self-reliance, first, you must confess your self-reliance. Confess your self-reliance. Look at uh, verses 15 through 17 and how Jesus rebukes the church in Laodicea for being self-reliant. He says, I know your works. You are neither hot nor cold. Would that you were either hot or cold. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. So Jesus begins this rebuke with an illustration. He sets up a contrast. Uh, But the contrast is not between hot on the one hand and cold on the other hand. The contrast is between hot or cold on the one hand and lukewarm on the other hand. The city of Laodicea was familiar with lukewarm water. They had a neighbor, the city of Hierapolis, that had hot springs, and they provided this hot water that was great for medicinal purposes. Uh, They had another neighbor, Colossae, and they received cold, pure water from a cold mountain stream. But Laodicea didn't have hot springs. Laodicea didn't have cold mountain rocks cold mountain water, Laodicea had to get their water from five miles away, and the water had to travel through an aqueduct to get to them. And by the time the water got to the city, it was lukewarm and not safe to drink. Well, Jesus says to this lukewarm church in this city of lukewarm water, you are not good water. You're bad water, and I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. You know, what's interesting about this idea of lukewarm water as it relates to this message, lukewarm is what happens to water when nothing else is affecting it. Water becomes lukewarm when it is self-reliant. And this was a church that was lukewarm, that was self-reliant. The people in this church said, I am rich. I have prospered, and I need nothing. Laodicea was a very wealthy city. The people in Laodicea were rich, and they were prosperous. They were used to being financially independent. They were used to the idea of, I need nothing. I can do it myself. But unfortunately, this church in Laodicea had adopted that same mindset about their spiritual condition. These people who were used to being financially independent believed that they could be spiritually independent as well. And we too are prone to being self-reliant. Like the Laodiceans, we also are part of a wealthy society. We live in a culture that values independence and self-sufficiency, being self-made. And it's easy for us to adopt that same mindset about our spiritual condition. How do you know if you're being self-reliant? Because most of the time, you're not actively thinking, I don't need anybody. I'm just going to rely on myself. Uh, 
If you do, there's a sign that you're self-reliant. Um, but there are some more subtle signs that you might be self-reliant and not even know it. Let me give you just a few. And if you're wondering how I know these, it's because, as I've already confessed, I'm a recovering self-relier. So first, a sign that you're self-reliant, you don't pray. You don't pray. To pray is to rely on God for what you're asking for. If you don't pray, it may be that without realizing it, you think you're fine on your own. You don't feel like you need to ask God for something. Uh, Another sign that you might be self-reliant, you're not generous. You're not generous. The self-reliant person is often reluctant to give because of the mindset, well, if I give too much, then I won't have enough for myself, and if I don't provide for myself, there's no one else who can. Self-reliance can lead to a lack of generosity. Another sign that you might be self-reliant, you don't ask for help. You don't ask for help. The self-reliant person doesn't want to admit that he or she needs other people. Think, I would rather go without than have people think that I can't handle this on my own. Can you identify any self-reliance in your heart, whether it's from one of those signs or maybe something else? If you do, Jesus calls us to repent. And to repent of self-reliance, the first step is to confess your self-reliance. Confess any way that you've been relying on what you have or what you can do. Confess your self-reliance. And then second, admit your need. Admit your need. So despite what these people in Laodicea thought about themselves, Jesus tells them the truth about themselves. He says, no, you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. And again, like I said, this is an affluent society. He's not making a statement about their pocketbook. He's making a statement about their hearts. They thought the truth was, I need nothing. But Jesus says the truth is, you have nothing. We cannot follow Jesus if we don't admit our need for him. You can't follow Jesus if you don't admit your need for him. Jesus said in John 15, 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from Jesus, we cannot please God. Apart from Jesus, we cannot have eternal life. Apart from Jesus, we cannot bear fruit. Apart from Jesus, we have no wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, or redemption. Apart from Jesus, we do not have what we need for life and godliness. If you are going to repent of your self-reliance, you need to admit that you need Jesus. You have a need. You can't say, I need nothing. You have a need. And this need should have a sense of urgency about it, a sense of desperation about it. A true need is not optional. It's not like, well, Jesus would be nice, but I'm pretty good on my own. No, that's self-reliance. A true need has a sense of urgency. And that's where these pictures that Jesus gives us are so vivid. There's a desperation that I've got to have this. I'm poor. If I don't get money, I'm going to starve. I'm naked. 
If I don't get clothes on, I'm going to be ashamed. I'm blind. If I don't get salve for my eyes, I'm not going to be able to see. There's this desperation of true need, and that's the kind of need we must have toward Christ. We have to have him, or there is no life. We have to have him, or we're nothing on our own. The hymn, Come Ye Sinners, Poor and Needy, has this line in it. All the fitness he requireth is you feel your need of him. The only thing that Jesus demands from us is that we feel our need of him. We don't have to bring anything to earn something. We don't have to bring something to impress him. We don't have to bring something to bargain. All we have to bring is our need of him. If you want to come to Jesus, the only thing you need is nothing. But for these wealthy Laodiceans, nothing was the one thing they didn't have. So are you willing to admit your need, your desperate need for Jesus. To repent of self-reliance, you must admit your need. And then third, receive Jesus' gifts. Receive Jesus' gifts. So Jesus offers the solution to their problem in verse 18 when he says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Now, he, he uses that word buy and uh, when Jesus says buy, he doesn't mean that we have to somehow earn his blessings. Uh, he's saying something similar to what God says in Isaiah 55, 1. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Jesus is not saying earn it. I mean, the Laodiceans' whole problem was that they were self-reliant. What Jesus is saying is, I have everything you need. Come and take it. I have everything you need, and it's all yours. Jesus offers everything we need. And to repent of our self-reliance, we need to receive Jesus' gifts and trust him for what we need. As we said already, and as he indicates in this verse, Jesus offers true wealth. Jesus offers true wealth. He offers gold refined by fire so that you may be rich. So trust in Jesus to provide you what you need. Trust in him. Uh, for, for physical provisions like money and food and shelter and work. But, but not only that, trust him for spiritual wealth. Trust him for rewards in heaven. Trust him for your own value and reputation and identity. Trust him for everything you need. Whatever it is that you are wanting, whatever it is that you are needing, rely on Jesus for true wealth. As we said, Jesus also offers true covering. He offers white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen so trust in jesus to cover your sins trust his death not your performance to pay for your sins trust his righteousness not your good works to make you right with god he alone can give us true covering and then finally again as we already said jesus offers true sight he offers salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see so trust in jesus to open your eyes trust his word 
to interpret the world around you. Trust Jesus to show you the truth about your own heart. Trust Jesus to show you his abundant provision for your need. He can show you because he offers true sight. So to repent of self-reliance, we must confess our self-reliance, admit our need, receive Jesus' gifts, and then finally embrace Jesus' loving discipline. Embrace Jesus' loving discipline. He says this in verse 19. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. It may be that the Lord is putting his finger on some self-reliance in your heart. It might be that right now you're feeling uncomfortable because you're realizing the Holy Spirit is exposing some self-reliance in your heart. But just understand that discomfort that you are experiencing is not bad. It's an act of love. Jesus says, the one I love, I reprove and discipline. This is a hard message that this church in Laodicea is receiving. But the fact that they're receiving it at all is an act of love from a generous Lord and Savior. All that discomfort that you are feeling about your own self-reliance, that discomfort is just the pain of Jesus removing something from you that you were relying on to make you believe, I need nothing. Jesus is disciplining you so that he could draw you to your, try, draw you to himself so that you will stop relying on false treasures, stop believing you need nothing, and become more reliant upon him. His discipline is an act of love to urge us to zealously repent, to be zealous to confess our self-reliance, to be zealous to admit we need Jesus, to be zealous to receive Jesus' blessings and true riches from him, and to be zealous to embrace his love even when it comes in the form of discipline. Embrace Jesus' loving discipline. Repent of your self-reliance. Finally, run after the reward of relying on Jesus. As we seek to rely on Jesus, we need to recognize his reliability. We need to repent of our self-reliance. We need to run after the reward of relying on Jesus. So what happens if we will repent of our self-reliance? Well, Jesus identifies two rewards. First, fellowship with Jesus. Jesus says this in verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. So as we've already said, Jesus offers true wealth. He offers true covering. He offers true sight. But the greatest blessing of coming to Jesus for what you need is that you get Jesus himself. He offers the reward of fellowship with him. Jesus is standing at the door. If you will just admit that you don't have it all and open the door, he will come in. And this fellowship that he promises begins now. Jesus promised in John 14, 23, if anyone loves me, 
he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. When we admit our need for Jesus and rely on him, we get to experience his presence now. We get to experience fellowship now. We get to experience his presence to comfort us, his presence to transform us into his image. We get to experience his presence to empower us for godliness. We get to experience his presence through prayer. We get to experience his presence uh, even as we, uh, spiritually speaking, eat with him at his table in the Lord's Supper. We get to experience his presence as we fulfill the Great Commission in his name. We get to experience fellowship now if we rely on Jesus. But the fellowship only gets better when Jesus returns. John will see in Revelation 21.3 this. He says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. If we will rely on Jesus, he will bring us to an eternal home where we will experience the fullness of his presence, the fullness of fellowship with him forever. So run after the reward of relying on Jesus, fellowship with Jesus. But there's another reward of relying on Jesus that we should run after, and that is reigning with Jesus. Reigning with Jesus. Jesus makes this promise in verse 21. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne throne. So Jesus tells us here that he has conquered. Well, Jesus conquered when he died and rose again. That was his conquering. And then after he rose, he ascended to heaven. And when he ascended to heaven, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Hebrews 10, 12 and 13 says, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemy should be made a footstool for his feet. And uh, turn with me ahead just a couple pages to Revelation 5, because John is going to see a vision of this idea of Jesus conquering through his death and resurrection and then ascending to the throne of the Father. Look at Revelation 5, verses 6 and 7. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain, with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. Jesus conquered through his death and resurrection. He ascended to heaven and he sat down at the throne of his father. And Jesus' promise to the one who conquers is that we will get to sit with Jesus on his throne just like he conquered and sat down with his father on his throne. You know, the self-reliant person lives a self-made life, building a self-made kingdom with a self-made outcome. I depend on myself. I live for myself. I build my name. I build my reputation. I influence. I leave my mark. And then I die. And I don't get to take any of it with me. And what was it all for? 
But the one who conquers will live a life relying on Jesus and building his kingdom and will receive an eternal reward. I admit my need. I rely on Christ. I live for his kingdom. I live for his glory. I store up treasure, not on earth, but I store up treasure in heaven. And then when I go to be with the Lord, I will, heal, I will hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. So don't live a self-reliant life building your kingdom. Run after the reward of relying on Jesus. In Christ, we never outgrow our need to rely on Jesus. Christian maturity is not about learning to be less reliant or more independent. Christian maturity is about learning to be more and more reliant on Jesus. So if you, like me, are still struggling with self-reliance, recognize just how reliable Jesus is. And repent of your self-reliance and run after the reward of relying on Jesus. Rely on Jesus, not yourself, because he is the one that you need. As we wrap up chapter 3 and head into the rest of Revelation, uh, I want to leave you with something. Um, in verse 22, Jesus ends this last of the seven messages to the seven churches with the line that's come at the end of all of his messages. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. These seven messages, as we see, are the Holy Spirit's words to these seven churches, these churches that first received revelation. But these seven messages are also, as we've seen, the Holy Spirit's words to all churches, including ours. And the messages that the Holy Spirit has spoken to these churches are closely tied to the rest of Revelation. The rest of Revelation will be speaking to the situations of these churches. And I don't want us to leave chapter 3 and go into chapter 4 without solidifying in our mind that everything we've seen so far in chapters 2 and 3 are situations that Christ is going to be speaking into for the rest of the book. So just to refresh your memory, the church in Ephesus who had lost their love will be reminded of the call to shine as witnesses through their love. The church in Smyrna, as we continue through Revelation, this church that was experiencing tribulation and facing persecution and imprisonment and death, will be reminded to be faithful and to have patient endurance. In the chapters that follow, the church in Pergamum, who is, who is uh, tolerating false teaching, they're going to see visions of the judgment of God and will be reminded to repent. Uh, the church in Thyatira was giving into worldliness. And in the chapters that follow, we're going to see vivid depictions of wickedness, the wickedness of the world. And Jesus is going to call churches like Thyatira to come out of the world and trust in Jesus. Uh, the church in Sardis, who everyone thought was alive, but was actually dead, 
is going to be reminded that Jesus is coming back and they need to wake up and be ready. The church in Philadelphia who is facing persecution by people who claimed to be God's people are going to see how God promises to show love to his people and preserve them through tribulation. And the church in Laodicea, guilty of self-reliance, is going to be reminded that their only hope of making it to the end is to rely on Jesus. So we might be leaving this section that has direct messages to the churches, but the whole rest of Revelation is still what the Spirit says to the churches. So he who has an ear, let him hear. Let me pray for us. Father, I confess that I am prone to self-reliance and to believing I need nothing. But Lord, apart from you, I am wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. So Lord, I pray for all of us that you would use this message that you've given us to help us see the reliability of Jesus, to help us repent of our self-reliance, and to seek after the reward that you promise for those who rely on Jesus. Lord, we love you and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.